mighty God, a God who, at the very mention of his name, causes demons to fear. That's because he is the one true God. There is no other God like our God. And so this morning when we gather together, we're not gathering together to just do some religious activity and to participate in something that takes place every Sunday morning because that's just what we do. We're worshiping a living God who is powerful and there's power in his name. Heavenly Father, we thank you that there is power in the name of Jesus, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I pray that in this time we have gathered together this morning, you will open our hearts, our minds. Give us ears to hear what you have to say to us. Let us hear what you want for us in this day and in this week. I pray, Father, that you would give us a, a humble heart to hear exactly what it is you have to say, that our pride would not get in the way, that we would not allow ourselves to think that we are perfect or that we've got everything figured out, that we wouldn't allow ourselves to stand in a place where we have nothing left to learn from you. But I pray, Father, through a humble spirit, a humble heart, a humble mind, that, that we would be able to give you our entire being this morning as an act of worship, that we'd lay our lives down in surrender and allow ourselves to be used and transformed by you for your glory, for your kingdom's purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Well, it's, uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful time of year, not just because it's warm and sunny, but because it is that time when we stop and remember our country's origin. Does anyone like the 4th of July? Anyone like blowing stuff up? At least somebody's got to like blowing stuff up. We're going to blow a few things up. But uh, on 4th of July, anyone know uh, what, what anniversary this is? Can you do your math real quick? 240. 240 years old. That'd be old if it was you or I, but it's pretty young for a country. But 240 years ago, we started this thing that we call the United States of America. And it started kind of with a dream, with a belief in, uh, in something called freedom, freedom from tyranny. And there were some people who gave dearly to fight to secure that right for us as a country. They gave dearly to fight so that we could have freedom, the freedoms that we enjoy today. And that was 240 years ago. But the question maybe we need to ask ourselves is, is do we remember not only the, the price that was paid for us to enjoy the freedom that we have in our country, but what have we done with that freedom? What have we done with the freedom, with the gift of freedom that we've been given? You don't have to look very far, you don't have to look at very many different other countries to see that we do have a tremendous gift, that the freedom that we enjoy here is not normal, and it's something that's infectious that the rest of the world will uh, long to have. We're still a place where people like to come and experience and find freedom. What have we done, though, with that freedom? 
See, these men, 240 years ago, they, they, many of them gave their lives and, and sacrificed for this dream, for this belief, for this idea. They paid for it. They gave of themselves so that we could have it. What have we done with it? They believed strongly in this idea, and they wanted to see it advance. And throughout our history as a country, we have helped others experience the same idea of freedom and democracy, and we have been able to kind of lead the charge in that. But things have changed a little bit in our country. Things have changed maybe a little bit in the world as a whole. Where we, we maybe don't think as much about freedom anymore. We don't think as much about the gift that we've been blessed to have. And there was a time maybe 20 years ago where it started becoming kind of you know, cool to question this freedom. Should we, should we be trying to pursue freedom for other nations? Should we be helping others uh, become free? And now there's almost a, a disdain for the freedom that we have and, and an attitude that maybe we've done too much and we've, we've overstepped our bounds in, in one way or another. And our country isn't the only place where this, where this kind of thing happens, where we kind of go through this progression, where we, where we have this belief and this idea that should guide us and should push us towards something. And then over time, that, as that belief uh, becomes something that's passed on to generation to generation, sometimes the, the passion behind that belief will fade a little bit and, and future generations won't carry on the fight in the same way that the previous generations did. We've had the same thing go on uh, in, in church, and that's kind of what we're finishing up here and, and bridging a gap between the last series and the series that's to come, where at the end of, at the end of a thousand years of history in the Old Testament, there was, there was a waning of the passion of following the beliefs that had been laid out for the people of Israel. And this morning, I want to watch a video that I was supposed to play last week and then got carried away, but I want you to kind of watch it and kind of recap some of Malachi for you and and kind of give us a bridge over this week and into our series next week, and we'll pick up on a totally different area next Sunday. But let's watch this video uh, to kind of recap what we've learned in a lot of Malachi. So as you can see, it's it's a very similar, uh, similar thing that maybe we're experiencing as a country. What is... What have we done with the freedom that we've been blessed with? The Israelites had this amazing gift where God actually was present with them and, and uh, he gave them rules and standards to live by, but then over a thousand years, the passion for that started to wane and, and go away. And then Jesus Christ came and, and he paid the way for our, our salvation so that we could enjoy this gift now of presence with God on a one-on-one basis, on a personal level, and he paid for that with his own blood, and here we are 2,000 years later, and I think we need to continue to ask ourselves this question, what have we done with the freedom that has been given to us? Ephesians chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open them there to Ephesians chapter 2. That's where we're going to spend our time this morning and kind of uh, bring these ideas together. But what have we done with the freedom we've been given? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now 
at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So Paul's talking to the church at Ephesus, and he's reminding them that you all were once dead in your sins. You all were once, once uh, children of wrath. You were, you were subject to uh, the prince of this darkness, this present age, the prince of the power of the air, who is now at work in the sons of disobedience, just like there are those around us now that we see are, are still uh, disobedient. They're not living up to God's standards, that we were once those people, but we have been given something, which is picking up in verse four. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So God, being rich in mercy, we like mercy, we like the idea of mercy, right? Love mercy, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly. God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love that he had for us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So we were once dead. We were dead in our sins, and now we've been given this wonderful gift of new life in Christ. We've been, we've been brought back to life. We've been resurrected from the dead, and now we were dead in our trespasses. We've been resurrected to this new life. By grace, we have been saved. Verse 6 and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So not only have we been saved from the death that we were walking in, not only have we been resurrected from the death that we once lived in, but now he's raised us up and now we're going to get to enjoy the benefits of being seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And listen to this language that is used. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God is going to show us in the coming age the immeasurable riches of his grace. Isn't that good news? God is going to, God is giving us, not only are we, not only have we received the resurrection of death to life now here in the present age, but in the age to come, God is saving up his immeasurable riches of grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, and we're going to experience them in the coming age. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. By grace we have all been saved. It is a, a free gift of God that has been given to us so that we cannot boast about our ability to earn our salvation. God gave it to us freely. And then other places we read, freely we have received this gift, now we are to freely give this gift. The question that I'm asking this morning is what are we doing with the gift? What have we done with the freedom we've received in Christ? What have we done with the freedom that we have received from this new life in Christ, walking in Christ? What are we doing with this gift? I don't know if you know this, but um, I spent a lot of time as a worship pastor prior to uh, starting being a pastor here at 6-8 Church, and um, maybe you don't know this, but people have opinions about music. 
Did you know that? People, people generally have opinions about music, and they're not usually, um, they're not usually held lightly. So if, if somebody has an opinion about music, and you as the worship pastor are the one responsible for the music, there is a really good chance that you are going to be approached in a fairly passionate manner when you cross a line that somebody thinks you should not cross. I spent 14 years crossing lines that people should, uh, thought I should not have crossed. Part of that's just in my nature. I'm a boundary pusher, and I would like to know where the boundaries are. And so I have a tendency from time to time, show you my, my uh, immature nature, I have a tendency from time to time to just to kind of push on a boundary, and I'll just I'll push a little bit harder until I discover where the boundary is. And so sometimes that's me pushing on people, and you know, I have to push people a little bit farther and a little bit farther and a little bit farther, but then I find where the boundary is. I know where, I know where the line is that I'm not supposed to cross, so then I know the freedom that I'm allowed to live in walking up to that line. But but there are, there are those that uh, did not necessarily enjoy uh, my pushing of the boundary. And I would, uh, it would probably, well, you probably may not be all that surprised. I, I was going to say it might terrify you to know some of the things that were said to me when I crossed that boundary uh, for some of those people. But, but with some of those arguments that came my way, you would think that I had said that Jesus was not the Christ by the things that I had done with, with something as simple as music. And by me describing, you're probably thinking that, you know, I took a, a fairly traditional church service and I brought in some guys with long hair and we put like, you know, not just half stacks, but like full stacks up on the stage. We cranked it up to 11 and just kind of blew the uh, hair off of the people. The toupee, I was gonna say things a lot more mean, but uh, that's not what we did. In fact, often the things that would kind of push us would be, would be this. So uh, what I, one of the things that I was responsible for, you know, the church leadership would give me the charge of doing was kind of was helping bring some things up into a little more current standard. So we had a traditional service that was supposed to be a blended service, which in my definition by blended would mean you know some traditional and some modern music, and so I would bring in a modern a modern song from time to time, which was still ten years old, but it was a little more modern than what they were used to, and so that would that would bother people. But but the thing I received the most feedback about, the most complaining about, the most criticism about was when I would take a hymn, one of the one of the hymns that was not as well known, but people still knew it. And I would write new music for it, and I would kind of rearrange it so that it would be a little more modern and contemporary in its sound, but it still had the richness of the theology from the hymn. And so uh, one of these that, that I did was the hymn called Living for Jesus. And um, I don't know the original melody because I never sung it that much, but I was kind of going through the, the hymnal and looking for songs that had content that I thought would be really good for us to, uh, to pass on to our church. And this was one of those, living for Jesus, a life that is true, striving to please him and all that I do. You know, it's some great words, but I, I rewrote the melody and I changed the meter. And by doing that, I successfully ticked off about 75% of the people in that church. You wouldn't think it would be that big of a deal, right? I mean, I didn't, I didn't take it all the way to contemporary. We kept the same words, 
but we, we, we changed the melody and it was still kind of a fairly laid back, you know, mellow song, but, but I, had, I had done something that just kind of struck the wrong chord and created some dissonance for some people. But through my time as a worship pastor, I could get off on a lot of, a lot of bunny trails on a lot of different stories. My favorite one is if you've, if you've talked to me, you know this, but uh, w- at one of the churches we had in the, in the backs of the seats, little cards, you know, and one of them at, at the top of it is just a little encouragement card, and at the top it said, I want to encourage you for, or I want to appreciate you for, dot, dot, dot. So the idea was you would kind of write out this note of appreciation, and then you'd put it in the offering plate, and then they'd come into the office, and the people in the office would then distribute them out to whoever they were wanting to write the appreciation to. And I would get those cards that I want to appreciate you for not singing enough hymns, or the music's too loud, or you need to do more of the songs that I like, or why don't you sing this song anymore? It's like, well, I didn't know that that was appreciation, but. (laughs) But through that 14-year span, um, church music changed drastically while I was a a music pastor. All of my training was a traditional style of music, Uh, But then I had to learn how to do contemporary music. I still love the hymns. I love all the deep content of the hymns, and we'll bring some of those back from time to time so that we're singing some rich content in the the hymns. But um, I fought a lot of battles during the time that I was a worship pastor. And it was because I believed that what we were trying to do was important. I believed that reaching people for Christ was more important than my personal preference. And so, to be honest, a lot of my personal preferences are, are some of the things that are a little more rich in theology, maybe not as popular, but the, but the purpose trumps my preference. And this is where I think we get a little sidetracked, is that we, we've kind of We've kind of allowed preference to be the most important thing. We've allowed our preference to be the thing that kind of sits up at the top of the pyramid, and everything in life and everything around us is defined and and decisions are made based on my preference. And we've stopped making decisions based on purpose. What is the most important thing that we need to do with what God has given us? Is it preference or purpose. I fought a lot of battles based on preference, and preference in the end is not going to bring any results in the lives of people who do not know Christ. It's all about the purpose. Just like when you get on the freeway, you have a purpose. You're going somewhere, and you're trying to get to a final destination. Sometimes you enjoy the uh, drive, unless you're me, and then you just get frustrated all the time because you're constantly stuck behind people who do not understand how the freeway is supposed to work. I'm not saying that that happened on the way to church this morning, but it did, and I was mad, and I'm repenting of it in the moment because I'm telling you about it, so I feel like I should repent and ask for God's forgiveness, so God forgive me for being mad at people on the way to church this morning, but when I get in my car and I leave my house, my purpose is arriving at my destination, right? My purpose is getting here. And when we all get in our cars after church, 
Our purpose is going to be to get home or to get to the restaurant or get to whatever activity we have going on this afternoon, but you're not going to get in your cars too quickly after church because we have snacks, and so you're going to sit around and enjoy some fellowship with us, and then you're going to get in your cars, and you're going to rediscover the purpose of getting in your vehicle is getting somewhere, right? But from time to time, we will find ourselves trapped behind people who, who have kind of maybe lost track of the real reason we have vehicles getting from point A to B. And we get behind people who have sidetracked purpose and replaced it with preference. Well, you know what, let's, let's just kind of take our time. Let's enjoy the drive. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with enjoying a drive. I'm just saying if you're going to slow down seven miles of traffic, pull over and let them go by. That's all I'm saying. Get out and enjoy the drive, but be courteous. Uh, this not, that doesn't help my point at all. But Sometimes we get distracted with the preference and enjoying something that is not really the ultimate purpose that we are really on the road for. My question, not only what are we doing with the freedom that we've been given, but have we gotten distracted? Have we lost the purpose? Have, have, we, have we lost the purpose that we were created for? You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared beforehand for you to do. Have we, have we gotten sidetracked from that purpose that God has put us here on the planet for, where, where we, are, we are driving towards this end, and we've just kind of, oh, well, I, this, this, is, this looks fun. This looks, oh, I would like to go try this for a while. We're enjoying God's freedom. We're enjoying God's grace, but are we doing anything to help those who don't yet know God to experience God's grace? Verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Let's talk about that for just a minute. Gentiles, unless there are, unless there are any Jews in here born of a Jewish descent, we're all Gentiles in this room. We would be called the uncircumcision. We would be called those who had not been circumcised. If you don't know what circumcision is, you can go look it up on the internet this afternoon when you get home, because I'm not going to describe that for you. <laughs> Please don't go look it up online. I don't think you need to know if you don't know by now. Circumcision was a part of the original covenant that God, God had made with his chosen people, Israel, and those outside of Israel were called the uncircumcision or the uncircumcised. So when you read through the Old Testament, you'll hear that word come up, like when David is talking about the Philistines, who they would call them the un, you uncircumcised you know, Philistines. They, they were the ones who were outside of God's chosen people. And so li listen to that again. You were, we were, we were all on the outside. We were outsiders. We were not allowed into the chosen camp of Israel. Remember that. Remember that at one time, you, Gentile, you were Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. So the circumcision refers to the chosen people. They would call us the uncircumcision, which is made in the flesh by the hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Remember that. 
Therefore, remember, you were on the outside. You did not have a hope of grace. You did not have a hope of peace. You did not have a hope of being chosen unless you were willing to go through the ritual of becoming circumcised and some of the other things that had to happen for you to become one of God's chosen people. But we were stuck on the outside. Remember that. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no hope, and you were without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, verse 13, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off or who were, uh, who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Jesus Christ did what needed to be done so that we could have peace with God and that now that even though we were outcasts, we were outsiders, we were the uncircumcised, we were rejected by God's standards that he had laid forth in the Old Testament, through the blood of Jesus Christ, he himself made a way for us. He is our peace. He brought peace between us and God, so now there is no more any, any, uh, any war between us and God. We are now on God's side. We are in God's camp. We are part of God's chosen people. We are now on the inside of the covenant, not on the outside of the covenant. We have received the gift of God's grace, and now we live in peace with God. That's good, right? Isn't that a good thing? Because of the blood of Christ, we have peace with God, verse 14, who has made us both one and has broken down in, this, in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Killing the hostility. He, he put death to death. He murdered the hostility that existed between us to God. He, he killed it through what he did on the cross. And now we are reconciled to God, unified with other believers under this grace. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Listen to that. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. When this country was formed, we were, we were aliens and strangers. We were outcasts, but then everyone joined together under the cause of freedom and under, under the cause that was laid forth for them, and they became citizens of this new country. When Jesus Christ came and he died and he did his work on the cross and we put our faith in him, then we become citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We're citizens now with those who have gone before us. Paul, who is writing this letter to the Ephesians, we are now citizens with him, the saints who have gone before us. We are citizens with those who have sacrificed themselves and been martyrs before us. We are citizens with those who are being martyred in the Middle East right now. We are citizens, citizens with them in the same household of God. 
We are citizens with the other saints around the world, living and alive right now, striving and, and doing everything they can to serve God and make Christ known in the area that Christ has put them in. We are citizens with the saints. We are all members of the same household. We're all joined together under the name and under the blood of Jesus Christ, the powerful name of Jesus Christ. We're all citizens and sit with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. We're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets who, who are responsible for the content of the New Testament. We're built on that foundation. We're, we're built on the foundation that, that they were present with Jesus. They were eyewitnesses to the account of Jesus and everything that happened. And so they pass on that generation. So they, they laid the foundation. And the chief cornerstone is Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church. I am not the head of the church. I am not the head of this church. Jesus Christ is the head of this church. He is the chief cornerstone. He is the thing about which this entire organization revolves around. Everything is built around Jesus Christ and what he did. And we strive and we do everything we can to make sure that we continue to keep this and make this about Jesus Christ and keep him as the cornerstone. The cornerstone being that part of the building that, that guides the rest of the building, making sure that it's square and able to, to be built upon. But we're built on the, the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That means that things like truth that they teach us are enduring. They don't change. They, they aren't going to be shifting with the generations that come and that they wane with the favor of those who are around us. We're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ, the ultimate truth, the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God's spirit. Doesn't that sound like a true, amazing, miraculous gift? Doesn't that sound like something that that once, if you, I mean, if, if you were on the outside and you were given this gift, you were, you were, you were an outcast, you were, on, you were left uh, left to the dogs, out in the alleys, picking for scraps. And through the work of Jesus Christ, you know, you're brought in and you're citizens with the saints. You're sitting at the table with the King of kings and Lord of lords, and now you're citizens with the saints, and not just a guest at the table, but now you are a member of the household of God, and now you are permanently seated there with Christ who has paid the way for you. You are a child, you're an heir, a co-heir with Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? But have we lost sight of it? Let's go back to verse 10. We've, we've spent time talking on this. I think this verse has a lot of applications. But I think there's one that's really important that maybe we don't make. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Given the context of this passage, talking about how we were once aliens, we were once on the outside, we were dead in our trespasses, and now we've been made alive in Christ. God was rich in mercy. He gave us peace and all of this. What do you think the good work is that we have been created to do? 
I think the, the good work that we've been created to do is that there are those who are on the outside who don't yet know, who are still in their trespasses, who are still dead, who are still living at one time like we did as the uncircumcised and, and not invited to the table and who don't know that Christ paid the way for them to come and enjoy a seat at the table. I think, I think the good work that we're supposed to do is to be, to be propagators of the freedom and grace that we now live in. I think this is the most important good work that we do. Are there other good works? Yes. Are there things that God has given us to do that help build up the body? Of course. Are there good works that we should be doing to help encourage one another? Yes. That's a, a big part of what happens here on Sunday mornings and what happens throughout the week as we, as we encourage and we lift up one another. But what is the purpose? What is the point of the body? What is the point of having a healthy, functioning body? I think the purpose and the point of having a healthy functioning body is to bring glory to God by making disciples and bringing the lost into the kingdom. But it's easy for us, it's easy for me at least, to, to, be, to get caught up in enjoying the freedom that we have, that I become more concerned about what I'm enjoying and how I'm getting to enjoy the fullness of God's mercy and God's grace and God's love for me, and I become less concerned with those who don't yet know. We've got the, law, the, the wall lit up today that reminds us of those people that we're, we're inviting, that we're investing in, that we're preparing the soil for. And starting next week, we're gonna spend some time talking about that idea of preparing the soil and what that means and what that can look like for us and Jesus Christ, but are there those that you have in your life who are, are representative and represented on that wall? Are there those who, who you're working with and praying for and investing in and pouring your life into so that they may someday see Jesus Christ through you, that they may see your good works and glorify God? And they may see what you're doing with them and how you're caring for them and loving for them and, and investing in them and they may be brought into Christ. That's why we have the vines up on the wall is so that you will remember to put stickers up there for the people you're investing in, the, the soil that you're working and you'll pray for them and we'll join you in praying for them. And then at some point in time, we actually have to do the work of planting the seed of the gospel. We have to share the gospel with them or we at least have to invite them to church where they can hear the gospel. But until we do that step of, of planting the seed of the gospel, they're still left on the outside. And are we too comfortable enjoying the freedom? Are we too comfortable enjoying the goodness of God's mercy to share with those who are still on the outside. I don't know. Maybe we are, maybe, maybe it's too, too good now. Maybe, maybe life is just too good and we, uh, we don't understand how much has been paid so that we could enjoy grace and mercy and Maybe we're too far removed like Malachi was written to those who were far removed and had forgotten what had been done for them. I don't know. But just like in so many other things, we see how God has created this church and made it an exception to a lot of standards. My, my biggest desire in my heart is that we will be the exception when it comes to reaching those who are outside. 
My biggest desire, my biggest burden that I have for us as a church is that we'll be people who understand that we have been given a gift and that we have also been given the responsibility of sharing that gift with those who don't yet know so that they may have the opportunity to decide for themselves if they want this gift of God's grace and God's mercy. Not to hold it to myself, not to worry about the lines that I might cross, not to worry about the battles that I might fight, but to, to make the presentation, to make the offer, to, to, to make the relationship so that we have the chance to plant the seed of the gospel in someone's heart and life so that they have the choice, at least they have the option to choose, to check the box, yes or no, so that they can actually come and decide for themselves if Jesus is for them. And we've done everything that we can to make sure that they've had that opportunity. Are we doing that as a church? Are we, are we passionate about those who are not yet here? Or are we just comfortable with those who are already around us? I can't rest and I can't relax if that's the kind of church that we're going to be. I know it probably feels like I'm coming down really hard on everybody. But this, I believe, is why God created this church. I believe this is why God created all churches, to be his body to the, to the darkness, to be his body shining the light into the darkest recesses of the world so that people would be drawn to the body of Christ and want to come to know Christ. But without a doubt, this is what God has given us to do as a church. And we're heading into summer, and, we're gonna, and you'll understand a lot more in the weeks to come why I'm making this plea this morning, why I'm making this case this morning, but ahead of us are really the prime opportunities that we have to invest in the lives of non-believers. Ahead of us are, are the months when it's the best for us to get outside of our comfort zone and, and break down some of the walls and introduce ourselves to the people that we live with 365 days a year, maybe we don't know their name, and we do some things to invest in them and introduce and get to know who they are so that we can build a relationship so that we can have the chance to speak the truth of God's grace and God's mercy into their life because they are on the outside sitting out, hoping probably that someone will invite them in. And the months ahead of us are the prime chance to do that. We, we have an opportunity before us, and I want to do everything that I can to encourage us and to prod us and to prompt us and to push us to take full advantage of this chance that we have in the next couple of months. Because you're going to be outside. You're going to be out, you're going to be out spending time with people that you don't normally spend time with. You'll be out mowing your lawn, or you'll be out weeding the landscaping, which is a never-ending chore, and so you could actually be out there always weeding your landscaping and always have these opportunities to just be out and talk to your neighbors and get to know your neighbors. Do you know your neighbors' names? Do you know who they are? Have you done anything to, to build them up or to encourage them or to love them or to share Christ with them to do what God has given us to do? And if not, what can you do this week? What can you do as you leave this place in just a short while to go out and to, to make an investment for the kingdom and the lives of these people. You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What are those unique things that God has given you to do that you can share with others? What are those unique abilities that God has given to you that you can go and use those abilities to invest in the lives of others? 
Maybe you, you, you know, you're, not a, maybe you're not a preacher and you don't think you can go and preach to someone and share the gospel with them, but maybe you're, you make really good cookies. Maybe you are a really talented musician and you can go play with the musicians on your street, or, or maybe you're a really skilled woodworker and you can go and do woodworking projects with those that live close to you. Maybe you know a thing or two about landscaping and you can go and you can work shoulder to shoulder with someone in your na- neighborhood as they work on their landscaping. Or, or maybe you're really good at, uh, you know, at trivia and you can go and just school your neighbors in trivia and you can teach them <laughs> unimportant facts that don't matter to anyone and through that you can tear them down and then have the opportunity in Christ to build them back up. <clears throat> All of us have been created in Christ Jesus, a unique workman. A, new, a, a unique work of God with skills and talents and offerings that we can use to build up the kingdom of God. The question is, are we going to use them for our own selfish preferences or are we going to use them for the ultimate purpose that God gave us, those gifts and those talents and those skills? My prayer for us is that as we leave this place, we will be kind of stirred a little bit with the, with the passion of the gospel and we'll realize that, that the ultimate reason God has placed each and every one of us here on this earth is to glorify him and to make disciples, to bring glory to his name, and one of the best ways we can bring glory to his name is by bringing more people in who will glorify God's name. And that's been my prayer from the very beginning, is that that God would continue to bring in more people to this place who find Christ for the first time, and that here as they find Christ, as they become one of the chosen ones, one of the ones included in the family, one of those who sit alongside the saints, that they would in turn give their lives in glorifying God, worshiping him with everything that they are, and they would then return the favor and do the same. question is, has it been too long? Have we gotten too comfortable? Are we too comfortable with the idea of the freedom we have in Christ? Do we take it for granted? Do we leave it in a closet and go out and live our lives and only bring it out when, we, when it pleases us to do so? Or is it the purpose that is driving us to live the way that Christ would give us to live. You know where I stand, you know what my hope is, my dream for us as a church is, is that we would always be a church on the side of purpose. That we'd never be a church that gets caught up in preferences and lets preferences be something that, that, that destroys the work that Christ wants to do in this place and through this place. But that's not a choice that I can make for you. That's a choice we all have to make individually. Are we going to be people who live lives of purpose or are we going to live lives of preference? Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for this gift that you've given to me, this grace that I enjoy this morning. I thank you that I can stand here confident that I am your son, that I am chosen by you, that I am accepted by you, that I am a part of your household, I am a part of your family, I am a co-heir with Christ, and I have waiting for me at a time coming and an age coming blessings that I cannot comprehend in the here and now. 
I thank you for all the things that you have given to me that I can enjoy, and I thank you for all the things that you've given to us as a church that we can enjoy, your goodness and your grace and your mercy. I thank you that, that you have blessed us all here in abundance, that we have been given more than we could ever, ever take credit for. I thank you that you have given this church, these people who are here, and they are passionate about your work. Father, I pray in this moment that we have together this morning, heading into the months ahead of us this summer, I pray that you would stir in us a holy fire and a holy passion to see those that we don't know, or to see those that we know who don't know you come to a saving knowledge of you. Father, I pray that you would put in us a holy desire, a holy passion, a holy unrest that would keep us from being able to relax until we've done something to share you with our neighbors, until we've done something to break the ground so that the seed of the gospel can be planted, until we've done something so that we have the right to share our lives with theirs, until we've done something. Father, I pray that you would just disrupt our our comfort, disrupt our ability to relax and enjoy the goodness of this life that we have until we are on track with living by the purpose that you've given us to live. And I pray as we look now to the cross and as we remember the sacrifice that was paid so that we could enjoy this, that you would once again remind us why. Remind us why we ought. Remind us why we should. Remind us why we must. Remind us why we need to be a people who make disciples. Forgive us for times when we have allowed our preference to get in the way of what you've ultimately given us to do. Correct our course and put us on track this morning to be people living by purpose for your purpose, bringing those lost and outside the camp to come and sit at the table with the king of